attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Hey, it's Jeff here. What you're about to hear is the recording from our weekly Context and Clarity live show that I co-host with Catherine McPhail. Every week, we bring in a special guest that will help us dig even deeper and find even more clarity around the most popular context and clarity topics. This version of context and clarity is simulcast to Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitch. Oh, and did I mention that they're live? We're operating without a net, so we may hit a few rough patches and stumble every once in a while. But I think these guests and these conversations are important enough that we really shouldn't keep them to ourselves. So with that, let's jump into this week's episode. This episode of Context and Clarity is supported by Twinmotion, the simple real-time rendering solution to create high-quality imagery client presentations, and interactive experiences that help communicate your design ideas fast. To learn more, visit Twinmotion at twinmotion.link slash clarity. All right, Entree Architect community, it's 4 p.m. Eastern, which means it's time for the Entree Architect Context and Clarity Live session for Thursday, July 1st. 2021. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. July. We made it to July. I think that means we're halfway through the year at this point. Uh, yeah. As you get here, say hi. Let us know that you're here and um, let us know where you're joining the conversation from. The, um, the great thing is about this Context and Clarity Live and this format that we use is these conversations can spread all around the world and they uh, do spread all the way around the world on a daily basis. So it's always fun. It's always fun to see where you are, who you are, where you are in the world. So let us know. Say hi when you get here. Uh, I see Pam. Hi, Pam. She said the siblings win. Oh, I, I get it. <laughs> Christian and Margarita were number one and number two in today. Maybe we have to send out a pair of crocheted bathtubs for that win today. 
Pam's joining us from uh, San Diego, Margarita from South Florida, and Christian from Ithaca, New York. Benito, welcome back from Atlanta. Kurt, welcome from Flint, Michigan. Uh, hello from Western New York. Uh, I'm going to guess. Let me see. Okay. Who's who's that from Western New York? Uh, well, it's, a it's not Christian. Yeah, it's not Christian unless he's on two platforms. Um, is that Linda? Why? Okay, so that's interesting. I was about to say um, that that must be a Facebook user, but that says LinkedIn user. I wonder if we've got a LinkedIn issue at the moment. Um, if you are showing up on the screen right now, labeled as Facebook user, you, you notice that there are others like Pam, Pamela Magnus down there. Um, she shows up as Pam with her uh, her avatar there on the screen. If you're showing up as Facebook user and you would not want to be Facebook user, but you would rather be your own name and your own, uh, your own uh, picture, then you need to give Facebook permission to talk to Restream. You are inside a private Facebook group because of the uh, privacy policies, which we respect. We don't want to give out your information if you don't want it given out. Um, but if you would rather your name and picture pop up, go to the URL that is on your screen right now, chat.restream.io slash FB. And that will uh, that'll give you uh, the ability to give Facebook permission to uh, let your name and, and uh, uh, picture and things like that come out. So, um that's that. That's that housekeeping. But thanks for joining us today. Um, we come here every week at, on Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern for one reason. Number one, to feature a guest that uh, we have right now in the green room, uh, but also to find clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect. And I know as we push this out to Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitch, all of our fans on Twitch out there, the variety of people. Uh, you may be architects, you may not be architects, uh, but we come here to find clarity around the things that matter most to architects, to small firm architects, maybe to small business owners uh, of any type in professional services. And uh, we do this thing called context and clarity with our guests on Thursday so we can dig even deeper into uh, a topic once a week. So thanks for joining us today. Uh, Christian says Ithaca is central New York. Mottos are centrally isolated and 10 square miles surrounded by reality. That's interesting. I'm glad I would rather be in the 10 square miles and not in the reality, but that might just be me. Uh, let's see. And, oh, okay. It looks like some people are figuring out the, uh, the restream. Okay. We may, we may have some Facebook issues. We may not have, uh, but uh, either way, you'll show up. You'll show up on the screen. We'll see your questions and comments. We want to make sure that you... Uh, you are able to ask questions and make comments because we want to incorporate uh, your thoughts into this conversation today as well. And if you're joining us from the future, right, if you're listening to this on the podcast version, uh, welcome. Thanks for listening. Uh, we do this. We take our Thursday conversations with our special guests and uh, we publish that as a podcast every Monday afternoon at noon Eastern so that you can consume these conversations from wherever uh, you want to do that. So welcome to all of our podcast listeners out there as well. Catherine, what did I forget? Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. But you know what I was thinking was, um, you know, halfway through the year, what difference does it make that, that years just keep coming and go? You know, just, mm -hmm. it's, it's like an accomplishment and yet not. 
we just we, we just mark, mark it and then we're done. The yeah. yeah. Yeah, but then there'll if, be another uh, year. Hopefully, there'll be another year when this is done. Well, we're yeah, we're hoping, we're hoping yeah. for that. Um, if uh, John Kenny is able to join us today, for those of you that don't know, John Kenny always keeps me uh, keeps me grounded because he has a calendar where he marks off day after day after day. He 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 is probably the only person in the world that actually knows how many days we've been doing context and clarity because he marks it on his calendar. We started this on April 9th, two thousand twenty been doing it every weekday uh since then so we're i don't know how many days are we are in there but john kenny knows <laughs> but he's I bet siri knows too i'm gonna ask siri be careful she may not ever shut up if you wake siri up brian mccartney we see you out there on linkedin um mark LePage. hi mark from sunny north carolina rain is on your way yep it seems like at least in the united states we're either uh really hot or really rainy at this point we're glad to have all of you with us at this point. So um, we ought to have people guess. No, we've already revealed who our special guest is. We have a guest in our green room right now waiting patiently as we babble on, giving giving that guest time to consume all of the M&Ms that we left back there for them um, and all of the uh, wine. It's wine and M&Ms today in the green room. Wow. It's a little early for her for wine. I mean, I'm not judging it. <laughs> it may be exactly what she needs maybe kyle hi from uh, linkedin glad you're joining us as well and jay from the sticks of vermont and anybody else that's out there say hi let us know that you're here and let us know where you're joining the conversation from and welcome to context and clarity live let me just say that our guest today our guest today is obsessed with architecture describes herself as an archie nerd and has a crush on Bjork Ingels. She's a marketing strategist, a copywriter. She studied 663 architects' websites and counting, and she's the founder of Architects Wordshop. Nikita Morell, welcome to Context and Clarity Live. Ooh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and um, yes, it's never too early for wine. It's 5.45 a.m. <laughs> here, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, we we hope we you enjoy uh, what we left for you back there in the green room. <laughs> yes, M and M's always. <laughs> <laughs> it's excellent. I don't know why that combination, but hey, <laughs> that, that's that's what that's what's back there today. <laughs> um, I introduced you as a copywriter, copywriter for architects. So uh, maybe we better start there because there's copywriter, there's copywriting, there's copyright. What is a copywriter? Yeah, so let's just start with what a copywriter is not. Um, okay. A random story, but I remember still telling my parents, you know, I think I'm going to leave this, you know, I was working at an architecture publishing company, so I think I'm going to leave this company, I'm going to start my own copywriting business. And they're like, oh, you're going to go back and, and study law. You know, you know, Indian parents, they were so proud. I'm like, no, 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 not copyright. So it's got nothing to do with copyright law. Um, and it's not design writing. It's not design journalism. So copywriting is, um, I would say it's, it's an art and science. So it's underpinned by marketing. It's underpinned by psychology. Um, and it is, it's a real skill that you have to build up over time. So I'm not a wordsmith. Like I don't sit down and I don't just poetically start to write. Copywriting really is a craft. Um, a lot of it is assembling sentences and words in the way um, I guess the biggest goal is 
in order to, I guess, yeah, every word has to be written in a way for your reader to take some sort of action. So whether that be um, to pick up a phone, to read a blog, um, whatever the action may be, it's, yeah, every single word matters um, and it's, yeah, to take some sort of an action. So that's what copywriting is. So, yeah, don't think of it as, I guess, you know, the design journalists that write for all these architecture media publications. Um, it's not that. It's it's writing to, I guess, have some sort of an emotional response. Um, yeah. So where do you apply copywriting? Uh, are, are there different uh, – is it restricted to certain places? Um, or where, where do you, where do you apply your skill? Sure. So I think, so copywriting is everything. I, I see it as, um, places where you do, as I said, want to get someone to take action. So that's not just your website. It's not just, um, you know, proposals and award submissions, but it's everything from even your emails that you write, um, back to clients and the way you reply. That's copywriting. Um, yeah, the newsletters you send out. Um, even, you know, the tiny bio on your Instagram account or your LinkedIn profile. That's all, it's all copywriting because you do want people to read it. Um, and take some sort of an action. Um, and it doesn't have to be a huge action. It could just be like, you know, um, bookmark my LinkedIn profile to connect with me later or something. It, it, but it's always kind of driving towards that, that option, uh, the action orientation. Yeah. That, and those are all good examples. We've been, so, um, we didn't talk about this earlier in the, uh, backstage before we got started, but what we do every week is we take the conversation that we're going to have on Thursday, you know, where we are now, we design a, a whole week of topics for what are the context and clarity conversations as well as the clubhouse coffee talks is what we call them clubhouse in the mornings. Um, and so we took a little bit different twist this week because this is a, about our sixth week in a row of marketing topics. And some of these have been, 30,000 foot view of marketing, some of them fairly philosophical, um, last week very tactical, but uh, we took a little bit of a, uh, a twist this week in, in uh, attempting to gamify some of these things. So we started out on Monday talking about uh, elevator pitches or elevator speeches. And then on Tuesday, uh, we tried, tried making a game of what I called flip the script. So taking what you normally talk about and turning that around so that it's not about you, it's about your client. Mm -hmm. And then yesterday we talked about, and this is one of my favorite phrases that you use. Uh, we talked about um, uh, the, the game was words matter. So how do we translate archibabble into what our, uh, uh, our clients would actually understand or, or the language that they would actually use. So it, it's, you know, hopefully it's been a little bit eye-opening for everybody this week, but, you know, you're talking about using this copywriting, this copywriting skill from, from your, um, uh, Instagram bio to your website. Speaking of websites, you've looked at an awful lot of websites. You've studied an awful lot of, of architects' websites, 663 and counting, I guess, <laughs> as it were. Um, why, why did you decide to study so many architects websites? It actually, 
it, it kind of started off. It didn't start off as like a project where I, I set out to do that. It, as, as, as like most things, it kind of just, it happened. Um, I found myself, I, I always find, um, when I give advice to clients, I like to kind of, you know, tie it to an example. Um, and I found myself, you know, I would say to a client, you know, really open your about page with, it doesn't have to be, you know, the set standard, you know, I am a, an award-winning studio, I said, open it with a quote or an interesting fact or and I was giving me all these options and then I was like, look, here's an example. And then I was trying to Google, like, it was it, like, how do you Google architecture opening about page good example? Like, it, it's impossible. So I started um, a, a spread, like a Google sheet, and I just started, I guess, scouring the internet for, for good examples of that I could show and also bad, I don't know, it sounds terrible, but bad examples. And, and it wasn't for me to criticize. My intention was more to kind of say, don't do this. Um, you know, it's always good to see what not to do as well. Um, so it just started from there. So I guess to get to 663 websites, I um, went on to a lot of like awards, um, you know, architectural awards that exist out there. And I would go through and get like almost, you know, kind of scouring, get all those web um, websites and put them in the list and then I would go through, um, you know, Design and Arch Daily and see all the ones that were emerging and upcoming and put them and then just a lot of Googling like architects in San Francisco or like just picking random cities and, and hoping that I would stumble upon, um, yeah, good websites. But it took months and months and hours and hours, as you can imagine. <laughs> Yeah, so we have a request. First, I have a question because it's been yeah. bothering me since I heard you had done 663 website visits. Why yeah. did you stop with that number? Did you not go to 675? Or, of course, I understand why you wouldn't want to go to 666 or maybe 665. <laughs> it just seems really like did you just get tired of it and that, but you decided to count them all up? Yeah. Did you, like, how did that happen? I don't even know. Like, it was just more like I just got to us. So I think it was more like I need to do something this now um and I was part of like a copywriting kind of think tank at the time and they all said you need to turn this into something like you know something that can help more architects not just the clients that you're working with um so maybe it was look I just put 663 I mean right now it's probably a lot more but yeah kind of just that was the number um and that's I think probably the point I started yeah just really I guess making these short videos and and almost I mean, not all of them I've, um, you know, completely ranked and documented and stuff. And, and the way I studied them and analyzed them was um, different, but it was almost like a little bucket. So I would go and get onto a website and I would say, okay, um, do they have a tagline? Are they, um, you know, what's their about page like? Do they have headshots on their bio? So it was just like little questions in my mind. I wish now the future, you know, present me wishes that my the past me was a bit more diligent in you know, but sometimes it was late at night and I just didn't have a system to capture all this information, which I wish, you know, I've got some of it down, but not all of it. Um, but yeah, then I kind of started creating buckets. So, okay, these are really good about pages. These are really good, um, all bad, um, project descriptions. And that's kind of how that video series, that 30 day fix kind of came into, into play because I just kind of, yeah, I would like to say, I don't like the word tear down, but it was just more like a, you're just going through these sites and saying where they could be improved or once they've done it well. So, yeah. so 
So go ahead, Kathy. I was going to say this question is wanting you to rank the website starting with the six hundred and sixty third one. My impression wasn't that you were actually ranking them; you were just taking information no. from different. It wasn't like a top five hundred. Yeah, and and to be honest, look, I'll be really honest. I think sometimes when people say ranking and measuring, like obviously I'm a copywriter, so words are my my jam, but. I sometimes find putting numbers to things like, yes, it definitely has its merit and, you know, when it comes to metrics and all that, definitely has its place. But also sometimes when it comes to words, it's like getting onto a website and it just evokes a feeling. It's just, for example, I'm always telling my clients um, this whole thing, I mean, Jeff, you say it a lot, is this idea of no like and trust, but I just find this whole idea of likability, and I say this a lot, but no one wants to work with a jerk, right? So... I think the biggest thing is is how do you convey that you are likable, that you are a good person to work with? Because, I mean, as we all know in the architecture world, these projects come for a long time. So you want to be liking the people you work with. So, you know, I would hop onto some of these websites and immediately I'd be like, oh, I really, these people seem really nice. I really like them. And I'd kind of question, well, what is it about the messaging and the words that's making, and the images, that's making me feel this way? Um, so I know it sounds a bit woo and that, but sometimes it is just a gut feeling of oh I like these guys so yeah that intuition I guess do any of your clients you know maybe you um like you like you said it kind of started with looking for examples do any of your clients say okay well that's an interesting example how do we know that works or how do we know um that that's that's actually doing what we think it's doing does that make sense um yes you mean as in like if like it's Getting that same resonating, or yeah, you 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 take an example, um, you know, hey client, here's here's your here's your website, Uh, here's an example of something different you could do. Okay, well that's great, but how do I know that's actually going to work? Do you ever get questions like that? Yeah, and definitely, I think the thing is with the way the industry is, as I said, it's a, it's a slow, long, complex process. You don't know exactly what's working all the time. But um, definitely what I do is well, with my clients, I go back, um, just say I give them, like a, I rewrite their website copy. I usually go back and have a, a calendar reminder in a year's time or even 18 months' time to say, hey, what feedback have you got any? Um, you know, a lot of people don't give direct feedback, but is it, you know, getting more client, the right types of clients through the door? Um, so that's a good way, I guess, to see if your copy um, is working. Again, it's very hard to pinpoint it and just say it's just the copy. It could be that you've put up a really great new project. and um, But, you sure. know, sometimes, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's a very, very hard thing to measure and that's maybe why a lot of people kind of put it on the back burner. But, again, I guess that feeling of trust, and credibility, it is, it's a hard thing to measure, but if you get it right, like putting testimonials on your website, that can build trust in which, you know, people are more likely to pick up the phone. But yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to measure. Hopefully I've answered your question. Well, yeah, no, you have. And, and we talked about this on Clubhouse a little bit this morning as well. Um, you know, I think from my point of view, and I've not studied 663 <laughs> architects websites, but, um, I do have a pretty good feeling that many architects have websites that are not necessarily oriented at a goal of, you know, getting more clicks, right? Getting more people to the, the, uh, the, the contact us form or, or 
frankly, I think there's a lot of architects websites out there that don't have a defined goal, but um, <laughs> I wasn't planning on saying it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think if we don't know what the goal is and if we aren't working towards a goal, then it's got to be hard to measure. Well, that's it. And I always say, look, your website has a job to be done and you have this idea of job to be done. It's in the marketing world. Um, but I mean, a lot, um, I would say majority of architects, maybe it's a generalization, but your work does come through from referrals and word of mouth and maybe, you know, hopefully we'll see an increase in more of this, um, you know, it is a bit more of a Google-driven world now. But maybe the job of your website isn't to get, um, you know, a whole heap of leads through the door. Maybe it is just for a referral, like or someone who's been referred to your company, um, to go onto the website and feel confident that, yes, this is the firm for me and I'm going to, you know, just to kind of reinforce, like most people do, even when they get referred, you know, dentist or whatever, you'll just pop their name into Google and just have a look like you just want to see. Um, and so I think that might be the job of your website. It might not be about selling, you know, selling your firm because yeah. there are, I mean, I guess every potential client is at a different level of awareness, right? Some are, are right at that 3% ready to, to sign an architect up now. Others are just doing their research. Others have never worked with an architect. So if you find your ideal clients have never worked, you know, if you're a residential firm and your clients have never worked with an architect, so the job for your website to be done is to educate them and to say, here's how to work, you know, this is what to look out for when you're hiring an architect or, you know, educate them in, in what an architect does. So, yeah, different jobs. Different websites. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and it's important to say too, right? When I when I'm throwing out this idea of you know driving people to a click or something like that, we also have to really understand that hiring an architect is different than um, you know going to Amazon and, and ordering a, a backpack or something like that. It's you know it's a completely different transaction, obviously. So that's a that's a really good point. Um, it's an interesting question from uh from christian yeah so i was talking about this at clubhouse this morning because i noticed it says um well you didn't mean to offend anyone i suspect some people might be upset did you get legal advice before posting the videos etc i did notice that you offered to give them reduced cost work or free work if they were upset and needed yeah. some help has anyone, yeah, so, did anyone take you up on that? I was wondering about that. No, and I definitely did. Um, I'm lucky to have an auntie who's um, a lawyer. So she did go through and I was like, if I put up examples, am I going to like be locked away? Um, and she just said, no, like, yeah, I mean, there's obviously the legality to it, but apparently if you use examples with um, the intent to educate and you not know, just, I guess it's, yeah, I'm not trying to rip them to shreds and, um, yeah, that's. Legally, I'm covered. <laughs> so, so that's good. You didn't go from archibabel to prison copywriter. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. Someone <laughs> might be still out there wanting to get me. <laughs> well, now, now that they've heard about it on Context and Clarity, they're probably headed straight there. <laughs> which, which, by the way, if you, uh, I, I saw Liz said a minute ago that she she made it through 15 of your videos. So, thank you for this wealth of information. Um, if you want to, uh, if you want to find Nikita's videos that we're talking about here, there's the, uh, probably the easiest way to do it. I'm going to put this up on the screen right now. You can go to NikitaMorell.com, which is, as you might suspect, is Nikita's website. And there is, um, 
a tab up at the kind of in the top right that says watch this and you can find all of the uh the videos that we're talking about that we're referring to right now so nikita morell.com and if you're listening on the on the uh, podcast version uh it's nikita n-i-k-i-t-a and then morell m-o-r-e-l-l so nikita morell.com is her website and you can find uh those videos all of those videos there um and check those out because they're i mean there is a, a great wealth of information there and uh, I'm pretty sure that none of us is going to go to the extent that Nikita has to study that many websites and and um, and, and go through that process. So check those out. Um, I know a lot of people, you know, a lot of this audience, a lot of our context and clarity audience are small firm architects um, because we are. Uh, pushing out to LinkedIn and, and beyond the Entree Architect Community Facebook group, there may be other small business owners in the audience as well, which I think is a very, very similar situation. So um, one, one question would be um, like the one on the screen. Let's see from Jay. It says, I'm looking at your packages and most of the architects here are solo. Um, are these focused back, back to the, uh, um, the videos, I guess, are these focused on large firms or small firms, or do you see a difference with the things you're talking and teaching about in terms of the size of the firm? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, obviously, I well, obviously, but I do um, service all different sizes of firms. But yes, uh, with the larger firms, I seem to be talking a lot more to the marketing managers um, and filtering. I guess, um, yeah, what I'm teaching and so, like supplying, like writing through them um so it's a bit more i think sometimes the larger firms there's a, lot, a little bit more like you know copywriting by council there's a lot of us trying to get them out whereas with the solo architects yeah it's um just smaller firms so in terms of the i mean the fundamentals of copywriting are always going to remain the same no matter how big or small your firm is i think that's a big thing is a lot of the solo smaller architects come to me and they say yeah but you know i don't have 20 beautifully professionally uh, photographed uh, projects to write about or I don't have this and they feel like there's a lot of lack um, in terms of they're not like they're com- almost comparing themselves subtly to these websites of the David Chipperfields and the um, you know uh, Koichis of the world so I think it's this idea of kind of applying the fundamentals of copywriting to yeah different size firms um, so you I guess ta- tailor and target target it to your firm but this idea of you know writing for ideal clients making sure that the words resonate with them it's it's always going to be be the same so. yeah yeah that, that that makes sense i mean it's um you know the the, the words the words are there we're not <laughs> and we're not uh you know it doesn't because you're a bigger firm that doesn't mean you use different words <laughs> so jay oh. follows up with he needs copywriting for his questions go ahead Sorry, just one thing, yeah, just to add, maybe um, just to add to that answer I said is I think sometimes the larger firms with the bigger brands, because they've got that brand awareness, they can get away um, in terms of their, their words and their copywriting, maybe pushing the boundaries a little bit or because they've already got that awareness of what they do, whereas um, the small solo firms, if you don't have that brand awareness and, you know, the average Joe hasn't heard of you and doesn't really know what you do, then maybe um, your words have to be a little bit more explicit, um, kind of, you know, this idea of we help families um, live in houses 
for longer or whatever it is like that idea of that value proposition might need to be a little bit more direct whereas with these bigger firms they can maybe and I speak generally but can maybe be a bit more poetic and, and that because they've, mm. they've gone through that stages of awareness and yeah they're kind of at the other end. Hey it's Jeff I wanted to take a quick break from this episode to ask you a couple of questions. What if you could visualize your building in just a couple of clicks? What if you could remove months from the design process? Or what if you could create a bridge between stakeholders so that you could solve their problems before they even came up? Well, our friends at Twinmotion offer simple, real-time visualization for architects just like you. Their technology lets you view and edit your scene on the go in the same pixel-perfect quality as the final rendering. Twinmotion seamlessly integrates with other tools like SketchUp and Revit, and it helps you transform your BIM or CAD models into high-quality images and panoramas, standard or 360-degree VR videos, or even your final presentations. No wonder it's used by high-profile firms like Zaha Hadid Architects and HOK. What's more, you'll have access to the world's largest library of 3D assets that you can populate your own scenes with. Does that sound complicated? Well, what if I told you that Twin Motion enables anyone to present their biggest ideas in the easiest way possible, no matter what experience you have with graphic softwares? Or what if I told you that it uses drag and drop assets and the power of Unreal Engine to truly differentiate your projects. Use Twinmotion on one of your projects today by downloading a free trial at twinmotion.link slash clarity. That's twinmotion.link slash clarity to try Twinmotion for free today. If you're a small firm, maybe you're a startup or maybe you're a solo practitioner, um, how do you, because you know, in that situation, and again, this could be a, a, a solo practitioner accountant for that matter, but, mm-hmm. but you know, you're juggling a lot of things, right? You're, you're wearing a lot of hats. You've got to do your invoicing. You've got to do all of this. Oh, and by the way, you need a website. So how, how would you, um, how would you prioritize maybe the pages or the sections on a website for a small firm. Like, you know, if I'm, if I'm just starting out and I, maybe I'm doing it myself. Um, what do I absolutely have to have to get started? Sure. So in terms of your words, I would say, um, the first thing that matters before anything is that kind of, um, above the fold. So before you scroll that, you know the very kind of first thing you see and, and you might might have heard that before but you've got it's like 10 seconds um, research shows you've got 10 seconds to capture your ideal client's uh, attention before they either open another tab or look elsewhere and I think the biggest thing when I was starting all those websites it just made me really sad because every time I went onto an architect I was like the first thing I saw was beautiful images which made me happy but then I just was like where are the words like there's like and a lot of domain names were um you know, XYZ Studio, and then nowhere could I see that they were an architecture firm. I mean, they could have been a graphic design firm for all I know. They've just got this beautiful rendered image or they could be a product supplier of, you know, timber cladding like I didn't. So I think the biggest thing is you need to orientate your ideal client and tell them, yep, you're in the right place. You know, keep reading. You're here. And, and the easiest and quickest way to do that is with um, 
a tagline and a subheading. And I usually, um, I'm about to actually release like a, a tagline handbook, but, um, the biggest thing with the, the tagline, as I say, is it has to catch the emotion. So really hook them in. So that doesn't have to be too explicit. It can be just something, um, a little bit unexpected or, you know, it depends on what, I guess, your brand personality is, but it could be, yeah, a bit fun or whatever that is. But then that subheading, that's where this idea, um, as you've been speaking, um, you know, the past week about the elevator pitch or value proposition or whatever people call it. But I like to think of it as if someone was to ask you, why should I choose you? How would you answer that? You know, why? So that kind of sentence is kind of who you serve and what benefit, um, you offer. So I think that that's where I would start because if that's not there, then people just get confused. They're trying to use brain power. As you said, they've got a hundred things, a hundred tabs open. They're just going to exit off. So, yeah. <laughs> you said you've got a hundred tabs open. I had to glance over. It's like, <laughs> she's just looking at really? mine. Yeah, yeah. I think it's only 98, but <laughs> it's, it's close. Um, <laughs> the, uh, uh, Jake, Jake has a good question there. Um, I, I think it's I think it's sort of an extension of what we, or maybe a good follow up to what uh, we were just talking about, right? If you're just getting started, um, because a lot of small firms, a lot of just getting started, are are in this um, boat. Is, you know, what if you don't have a lot of photographs? What if you don't have, um, you know, again, back to that comparing the big firms, the large firms to the small firms, got limited resources, and, and that can include project photographs, et cetera. So, um, are there examples of what somebody can do if they don't have some of those materials? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, the first thing is I always direct people to John Elway's website because he's an Australian architect, and I just think the way he has one project. It's a, a one-page website, but the way he's told the story is just brilliant. So I, I, whenever someone says, but I don't have that many projects, the first thing I say is go check out this website and see how someone's done it. The second thing, which actually is something I've been thinking about a lot lately, um, and um, I guess I'm in the process of either creating a framework around it or writing an essay, I'm not sure yet, um, but is this idea of, okay, so if you don't have projects to show, like I just find the more and more I talk to architects is the thing that really differentiates every single architect is the process that you go through and this process of obviously problem solving and all that. But I I feel like, and I could be wrong, and that's why I, I'm putting a disclaimer, I am exploring this right now, but I feel that the way the process architects go through, the design process, a lot of them take it for granted. Um, and I did put up a post on LinkedIn the other day, um, you know, saying that it is second nature to you. You think, well, yeah, that's just how I do it. That's just how phase one, phase two, you know, pre-design. Um, this is how I go through a, pro a, a project. But there's so many subtleties in the way you do something that you probably take for granted and then objectively not seeing it. Um, so my thing to answer your question is to communicate the way and the how you do things. So why do you do it? You know, why do you do this in this order and not that in that order? And, and how do you communicate that? And, you know, for example, so many architects say, oh, we've put a lot of effort into the brainstorming phase um, and look at ideas and concepts. How? You know, communicate your how and that, that design thinking like when you say design thinking what do you mean you know be 
a little bit more, I guess, grounded with your words and the way you communicate. And it doesn't have to be words. It could be a video. It could be an illustration or a flowchart. But if you don't have the projects to show, um, and, and I come across a lot of architects that say, well, I've just been working at a huge firm and now I've gone off on my own and I'm not, you know, for confidentiality reasons or whatever the reason might be is I can't use any of that work because it's not actually mine. I just headed up the project. So, so what do I do? And that's, that's one way to do it is to really put that emphasis on your process. Um, another thing is, um, I think it was Seth Godin in one of his, uh, interviews. It could have even been, um, the context and Tyron, but he, he said, you know, create fictional, um, projects for yourself you know, create competitions or, or put work that you just got in your mind and, and put it up there that it doesn't have to be real. If you can tell a good story um, and, again, showcase your thinking behind it, that's a great way to build trust. So, yeah, sorry, that was a long answer, but I'm no. something I'm actually quite passionate about um, exploring yeah. as well. No, I, I think that's great. a great answer because, sorry to cut you off, Catherine. Um, oh, I was just saying it was a great bunch of information and advice. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And I think it applies to an awful lot of people in this audience, <laughs> probably most people starting out, um, you know, um, or, or, or even, you know, if you're trying to maybe pivot a little bit, that probably applies as well. So you mentioned John Elway. Um, gelway.com does that sound right yes that's on for url okay so we're going to post that here on the uh, uh i'm going to grab the url and we'll post it in the uh on the screen here in just a minute so if you're if you're listening to the podcast version nikita was referring to john elway e-l-l-w-a-y he's an architect in australia and his url is gelway j-e-l-l-way.com and i was just scrolling through it a, a bit and he does he has one he has one project on on the site, but he, you scroll and you scroll and you scroll, and you you he walks you through uh, a great story on that. So check that out as an example um, of what you can do uh, when you don't have twenty four. I think that was Jake's question. You don't have twenty four professionally photographed projects. Well, here's a fantastic site, and there's one project. It's a great example. Um, well. In, in relation to the last, <clears throat> what you were talking about describing our process, Jay says, uh, my process can be lengthy. How much should I include on my website? Like how, I guess we could all go on about that for a while. What what kind of details should we go into? Yeah, so I think um, I would see them as like um, a movie trailer, right? You just want to give a teaser um, and say, this is kind of how it works. And then again, thinking of that, what I said right in the beginning of this chat is this idea of, you know, driving to the action. So click here to find out more about our process or, you know, let's chat more. So this idea of don't, I would definitely, especially on your website, think about your ideal client. They're busy, they're skim reading, 100 tabs open. So you just got to keep it um, succinct. And that's why I suggest uh, a lot of the time, you know, your architects, your visual creatures. So play to your strengths. You know, maybe it isn't just slabs of, of text, but it is, um, you know, a, it could just be a sketch of, of this is how we work, this is how we do things. Um, and one thing I'll add to that is, yeah, so keep it short. It doesn't have to be this step-by-step. No one's going to read that. Well, I mean, they might if they're really on that 3% considering um, hiring you, but majority of people are just going to go, yeah, yeah, okay, they've got a process. But, yeah, if you want them to really engage with it, make it engaging. Um, and what I'll add to that is, 
underneath that process um, that you've written, put a testimonial. So put someone that's worked with you along. Like it doesn't have to be, again, a big project. Um, it doesn't, a lot of people say, but I don't have, you know, especially solo architects or small architects, I don't have, you know, 100 people I can ask for for testimonials. That's fine. Um, it doesn't, I, I think preference is ideal. Ideally, you'd want to interview or have testimonials from past clients because they have gone through that whole process. But if you can't get a hold of that, then have a, a, a testimonial from, um, you know, a peer, a colleague, an industry expert, a contractor, anyone that's worked with you and gone through a, a, a small or long process. Um, again, um, I've got a handbook that's coming out about how to write testimonials um, and best way to ask for them in a non in a non awkward way. Um, again, testimonials, it's copywriting, they're copywritten. Um, they you do want them to sound raw um, so that they're not edited and they sound salesy, but get someone to say, I really enjoyed the process. I felt confident to make decisions, whatever it is, then you've said, here's my process and here's some social proof that it works. Yeah. When's that coming out exactly? So we can get be waiting well, for it. Yes, yeah, so I'm actually um, about to launch a course called the Site Smart, so 12 week get it done um, website accelerator. So that, it's all going to be part of that. So it's pretty much just helping architects just get their website copy done in 12 weeks. So um, August is when it will be out. Nice, very nice. Yeah, I think um, when, when you're talking about getting those testimonials, and, and maybe this is what you're talking about, I really like the idea of you know, having a conversation with your, your past client, uh, mm -hmm. sort of interviewing them and, and not, you're not trying to put words in their mouth, but leading them mm -hmm. in a direction, right. Helping, helping them help you tell the story. I think, um, I think there's a lot of value in, in, in getting a testimonial that says what, it, what you need it to say for the social proof. Again, not, not, engineering it, not manufacturing it, not putting words in their mouth, but but leading them to say something that other people like them, that would that would resonate with other people that are like them, I guess. Yeah, and with testimonials, I always say, if possible, to always get a headshot of the person because mm -hmm. as people, um, human nature, it's intuitive, we like to see faces and then we kind of look at a testimonial and go, oh, and it sounds terrible, but oh, hey, look, they seem like me, you know, and that, I guess that's that mirroring in, from a psychological perspective, that mirroring and thinking, well, if they've had a good experience, I'm sure I will. Um, yeah, and look, I, I cringe every time I see a testimonial that was like, you know, Nikita was amazing or, you know, you just think it, it can't, like, I think it goes deeper and Jeff, I've had this conversation before, there is... That's why it is copywriting because, for example, when you ask for a testimonial, I have like a set of, of questions I ask and, and is that before and after transformation? So it's kind of saying like, what were you struggling with before or what made you reach out? Um, and did you know you even wanted to work with an architect? And, and, and how's your life now? You know, what's your family doing or your partner and you? How's your relationship? Or if it's a commercial project, how are your workers, you know, is that the pro productivity increased? So it's just that. Yeah, I guess that before and after and, and how you helped them in that journey. Yeah. I, I want to take half a step back too because you mentioned uh, a couple of minutes ago, you mentioned that the uh, idea of a movie trailer in, in relation to the process. I think that is such a good example. It's yeah. a, such a good analogy because, you know, if number one, 
your clients don't really care what your whole process is. I, I hate to offend you, but they don't really care what your whole process is. And if a movie trailer included the entire plot of the movie, what would be the point, right? What would you, uh, would you go see that movie? Um, would you even sit through the entire trailer? And no, because then it's a movie. So I, I love that. I love that analogy. You know, give the movie trailer version of your, of your process. That's a, that's a good one. Um, when we're, you know, when we're thinking about, again, the small firm, how do you do this? How do you prioritize this? It, understanding that a lot of, a lot of small firms and startups are probably going to be doing some of this work themselves. Is, is there a natural breaking point where you say, you know what, you can handle this much on your own, but then you might want to start talking to a professional. Is there a line in the sand where, where that uh, comes up or, or how do, how do they judge that? How do they prioritize that? Yeah, look, I think deep down, everyone kind of knows when their words aren't spot on and fitting with their practice. I mean, you just, you know, right. But I think um, a bit more of a concrete answer is that, if you find yourself getting inquiries, for, uh, for example, from the wrong types of clients or you just find yourself getting a bit frustrated because you keep getting on the phone and people pick your brain and then they go off to someone else or I guess you you feel that there is some friction somewhere in the process and you're just not getting the right types of projects um, and clients through the door, I think that's when you should take a step back and go maybe my copy isn't working as hard as it could be for me um, and maybe it is just a small and in the scheme of things I mean it's a small thing to tweak I mean it's small but it's a, it's a it can make a large I guess you know it's a domino effect it can have a big impact on your firm just those words um, and if they're working well with the visuals I think yeah they can really filter out some of those bad clients and get some of the, the good ones in and as I've said before you don't need if you're a small architecture firm, you don't need hundreds and thousands of clients. I mean, you only really need a handful of really great ones. So how do you get those ones in the door, you know, and get them to choose yeah. you? Yeah, that's a great question. This or, or a great point. Uh, this is a good question, Catherine, from Christian. Okay, so do you see a difference in websites from various countries and languages? And he had asked a question previously about whether all of the 663, were they all in English? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, admittedly, yeah, majority were in English, but a few, um, had that translate, um, up the top. So I, yeah, definitely did, um, some Spanish. Um, there are a few, even there's a lot of like small firms, even in India, um, yeah, in Asia. But I think the biggest thing is with those sites, I, and I've worked with clients in Portugal and that as well. And I, I think, as I said before, the, the fundamentals remain the same. Like humans, wherever we're from, this psychology, um, and that, as I said right in the beginning, that's what underpins copywriting is this idea of trying to get people to resonate and respond. And so if you know who your ideal clients are, I don't think it matters where, um, you know, there isn't a big variance between countries. Obviously, there's um, differences in the market um, and your ideal clients, but it is from, from a copywriting perspective, it's just translating that into words. So no matter what language you speak, it's just that same translation. Um, so I don't 
obviously there are differences and small nuances in the way your copy will be written and the way it will be presented. Um, for example, I do find a lot of difference even in the Australian-based firms um, and, and the American-based firms I work with. Um, yeah, different cultural nuances, but same thing. I mean, I would never try and write a site um, you know, if the ideal clients are based in America and to apply that to the way Australians write copy, it, it, as I said, there's like a misalignment. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. We had somebody on Clubhouse the other morning um, asking about that, talking about that. They're they're working in a market now where um, they're now working in their second language, not their, um, not their native tongue. And, um, and of course, as you, you might guess with that example in a different country. So they're having to learn the nuances of, of the, the, this ideal clients, not only their literal language, you know, the second language for this, for this architect, but the, uh, the uh, figurative language of that ideal client. And I, I think that's a really important point. <laughs> here's, yeah. here's a question <laughs> from Brian. <laughs> how do you how do you feel about AI copywriting and research tools? I know how I yeah. feel about them. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean they're there and they exist, and um, I mean the the biggest thing. I mean, for I'll, if I if I'm to be honest, for a long time I just was like I'm just not going to like engage with that. But really now that um, you know it's becoming more prevalent, the biggest thing for me is that I just don't think you can that human. Um, the, the research that is done, the copywriting, I know there are a lot of research tools, but that the conversations that I have, um, and all my conversations are, you know, recorded and transcribed and that, but I just, I don't think technology can replace that. Like this idea of probing deeper. Um, so for example, I, before I ever write a word of copy, and this is a, a good point about copywriting is, um, you know, if someone comes to me and say, hey, hey, hey Nikita, I need you to rewrite my website. Um, there are a lot of copywriters that will sit down and be like, cool, okay, sure, I'll just start writing. For me, um, I would say a whole heap of my time goes into that front end of research. So what I mean by that is I will interview, you know, five to ten or three to five of your past clients, um, you know, for 45 minutes to get an objective view and to see the language that they're saying, you know, Instead of saying um, all this Archie bubble, that's where that real language is, you know, especially for resi clients who have never worked with architects, you know, they might say, oh, I just feel like my doorways are too, you know, what what are they saying? Um, and so then that that's the research. And then I do things like, you know, I troll Reddit, um, Quora, all these online forums to see what are these conversations of people who are, who are looking for architects, like what are they actually saying? Um, so, yeah, so that I guess is... I don't know. I don't know if I, AI and, and, and well, that yet. Have, yeah. Know. Yeah. And, and I, you know, let me preface this by saying I'm no AI or machine learning expert, but you know, the whole, the whole concept is of course the AI can process much more information much faster than we can. But you made a really important point a minute ago, which was that probing deeper and to my knowledge, the AI or any sort of machine learning can't do that, right? It responds to the information that's already there, right? It's looking for patterns and doing all of that. And, you know, when you're talking about probing deeper, and we're trying to probe down into, in, into the emotion, 
right? The emotional drivers of, of, uh, you know, why, why is this a need? Why is this a pain? Why is this a problem? And, and get down as close to the emotion as we can using the five whys or whatever technique that you want to use to get there. And to my understanding, my knowledge, I don't think the AI or the machine learning can do that. So, um, yeah, I think absolutely in terms of processing a lot of information, but I, I would, if it were me and what I know and what I understand, I would rather pay you the money to do the deep probing and the research and produce copy than I would pay somebody that has an AI to just gather information because I think I'm going to have a big edge if you're probing deeper than somebody that's just shoveling up it, all of this information. I might be completely wrong on that, but I, I, I think that's the way that works. Okay. I'm just confused about what are we talking about? AI, are we talking about artificial intelligence? Is that, yeah. I mean, how do yeah. you can actually hire us? I mean, I hope we're still hiring people instead of having. Yeah, but it's a big I, I shouldn't say that too loud. Especially with like Facebook ads and that. I've seen a lot of like, yeah, you can get a whole ad written by AI. Is that why it doesn't make sense sometimes? You think, what language does this person speak? <laughs> is that is that AI? Because I thought maybe they were just, um, you know, didn't speak like, uh, English and that it was really going to come from somewhere really far away in six months if you ordered this thing. But it might be just AI. Could be, yeah. I mean, there's whole websites that just spit out taglines now and that. Um, yeah. Wow. Who knows? Hopefully copywriters will still be around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and architects too because they could yeah. start taking over our job too. Um, large large parts of it, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, that's that's a rabbit hole, right? I mean, that's a real uh, – you could go real deep on that. But as an example, Catherine, apologies to everyone for a sports example, but um, many times if you look at recaps of games – um, whether it's baseball, college world series fi uh, finale was last night or, or cricket or whatever. Um, there's an awful lot of recaps of sports games that are being published in newspapers, et cetera, that are written by AI. Now, um, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot more games. Um, but there's also been a lot of sports journalists that have been displaced, uh, by that, but by, by that AI. Uh, but again, that's information that they have that the AI has gathered. It's not research that it has done. So anyway, well, who yeah. tells it what to write? I guess that's a totally different conversation. We can go on yeah. with more questions for Nikita. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jay says I don't think AI is going to replace good architecture. Yeah, I think there's certain things that will be, and certain things that can't be. How's that for a really generic answer to that? <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, when I, I pulled up an example the other day while we were in Clubhouse of an architecture firm's website and I clicked on their about page and what popped up was a beautiful full bleed image of a project and that was it no words not a single mm. word I thought you know what's, what's going on is this broken you know it's and there's there some idiosyncrasy with the way the navigation worked, but but I realized then I could scroll 
uh, oh, well, maybe the words are below the fold, which would be weird. But um, so I scrolled, and the next thing that came up was another full bleed, beautiful image of a project. And I scrolled, and the next was a full, you know, same thing over and over and over, just just image, image, image of all these different different projects, and some were. Uh, and they're all super high quality, really great professional photography, really great high-end uh, renderings, not a single word. And that was their about page. And it, it just blew my mind uh, that there were there were no words there. So what's – and I know, I know there are lots of architects that would just – you know, they have these portfolio sites, et cetera. What's the minimal number of words – this is not like six, right? But what, what's the uh, what's the minimal number of words that um, that need to be on on a website or or you know a project page or something like that? Um, well, for starters, I mean the way I approach copyright this is a personal opinion. I never ever, I guess, put word limits on things. For me, it's more like how many words does it take to communicate yeah. your idea clearly. And that's, I get it a lot of like architects. They're like, well, how many words will my project description be? And I'm like, well, I don't know. It depends on your story you want to tell um, and how much detail you want to go into. But in terms of minimal, you don't need a lot. Like you don't need to write essays, as I've said. Just get that gist, like get that feeling, get, you know, that kind of who, what, where, why across. Um, and if you use that, if you use your website as a movie trailer, you know, that kind of going back to that analogy, if you use it as just a teaser, then have these call to actions. You know, if you like what you see, give us a call, pick up the phone, send us an email. You know, so again, it's prompting them and it's kind of suggesting, look, hey, I know this website doesn't have everything you might be looking for, but if you want more information, we're here. You know, so we're approachable, we're welcoming, we're on the other side. Um, you know, and one thing I will mention is you need to have nice headshots on your website. And, and by nice, I mean just professional, you know, no crop selfies or <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it all. Um, I actually had one, I think on one of my videos, you'll see like biography headshot. They'd inverted the image somehow. So it was just like, it looks like these. Like they were under UV lights or something. Anyways, but yeah, just, they were scary. That was scary. You yeah. said you were scared, and it was it was a little. <laughs> so just go up against a white wall, take a nice shot, and put that up there, people. And I know it's really like I don't want to put my face up on the internet, but people, you are a, an architecture practice. But you, especially if you're a solo small firm, you people are hiring you. They're not hiring your practice name, you know. And sometimes they're one of the same. So you know. If it's Nikita Morel Studios, like, well, who is who are you? You know, I, I that's great. You've created this beautiful project, but who am I going to be working with? Um, or if you don't want to do that, put a, a you know, if you want to see me, head over to LinkedIn. You know, if you don't, like, but yeah, have a way for people to see your face um, as well. It sounds creepy, but it's not. We've we've touched on Archibabble briefly here in this conversation. Um, and I think this question that's up on the screen right now is, um, I, I think it really gets at the heart of an important uh, consideration when it comes to uh, to Archibabble. Do we know who this is from, Catherine? Or Archibabble, as I prefer Archibabble. now. That's the way yeah. you say it, Nikita. I like that, Archibabble. Uh, I don't know who this is, but they want to know, we've been talking a lot about um, how to speak to our clients and, you know, so should we introduce a healthy amount of architectural terms? 
point, we call it that, but explain to clients what they mean so it's not confusing to them. I found myself enjoying learning new terms while engaging other professionals. So how much are we allowed to use, I guess, of the art? I love this question. This is a really, really good question. And it's something um, I think, yeah, when I, you know, talk about all these like jargon and I just speak and all that, it's, it's not saying don't use it. It's just saying be aware that the person you're speaking to might not know. So, I mean, the question kind of answers it is that definitely talk, talk the language of architecture. That's your language. But make sure you follow it up with, um, you know, what you mean by it. So, for example, sustainability. It's a, it's a term that gets thrown around and people hear it in all different industries, but they might not know what it means to you. So what I, in, in a lot of the websites I write, I'll say, um, you know, we're, we believe in sustainable, using sustainable materials or we, we believe in sustainability. To us, this means X, Y, Z. So rather than trying to find a definition that fits everyone, just say what it means to you. And that's so much easier to write because, oh, okay, yeah, that to me, sustainability means using sustainable materials. It means giving considered thought to, you know, whatever the environment or making sure that the, the building's working in nature, whatever it is it means to you. And same goes to all those kind of terms like creativity, innovation, you know, to us innovation means like whatever it is, you know, if it is a generic term or if it's an architecture term, just explain it in, in really simple terms. And one of the best ways to find out how to explain something simply um, and something I do a lot as well, you know, just have a chat with a non-architecture friend or family member and just almost record, hit record on your iPhone and transcribe it later, but just have a, a conversation because you'll find that person, if they're not in the architectural, they'll be like, what do you mean by that? Like, what? Like, so if they're saying that, how, like, they're, think of them as your ideal client. Um, and they might not be, if, if someone's worked with architects heaps, then that explanation you won't need as much. So again, everything is, with, I'm sure Jeff always goes on about it too. It just comes back to your ideal client. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I also got that message and felt a little worried. But um so Jay says that I just got a message from Nikita saying she wants to look at my website. I'm nervous. <laughs> so I, I think that wasn't I didn't take it personally after I realized, oh, you said that to everybody, I think. <laughs> so I do. But I just um yeah, look, I do again love, as you know, um looking at different architecture websites and it is hard to to keep Googling and coming up with new ones. So I, I'm always interested. And it's not that I want to, like, again, critique it. It's just I'm interested, um, you know, architects see sites from all around the world as well. So it comes from a place of interest, not <laughs> I want to tear it down. So Criticism. Yeah, yeah I, I think I, I think that's a great um, a great segue maybe to a question that would, would be probably a good way to wrap this conversation up because – I'm pretty sure, you know, for all the people that have been here with us live in this conversation, that are going to listen to the uh, the podcast version of this in the future, and of course, um, you know, we'll we'll find this video on Facebook or LinkedIn or YouTube or Twitch or wherever in the future. They're all going to watch this. They're going to listen to this conversation, and and then they're going to go and look at their website. Right. I think that's the natural reaction to this conversation right now. So what's what's the thing? What's the one thing that anybody that is either here now or will encounter this conversation, 
what's the one thing that they need to do because they're about to open up their website and take a look at it? What do they need to do when they get there? As I said before, just put some words on your homepage. <laughs> Above the fold, I want to see words. And it doesn't have to be on top of your beautiful project image you can be slightly above or just below but just above the fold orientate your ideal clients if your goal is to get more of those right clients and to filter out some of the bad ones then that is what you need to be doing Uh, that's great advice and you said earlier um that you've got about 10 seconds i i i've been using the uh the figure eight seconds and someone looked it up the other day while we were on, on uh, context and clarity. And I think it was like 5.9 seconds, you know, from Google. Um, So, you know, the number's coming down, right. But the point is you have very few seconds Mm -hmm. when someone lands on your website before they take an action. And um, uh, Nikita's advice here is really, really great advice because in just a few seconds, they're either going to want to know more or they're going to go off looking for other options. And uh, it seems to me if your ideal client lands there, you want them to be the one that says, I want to know more. Right. So, um, so give them, give them like, like she says, orient them, get them, uh, give them the information that makes them think, Hey, this, this might be the place for me. It's great advice. Nikita, thank you for this conversation we've been we've explored a lot of topics today uh but it's been all very good information and and i think very very actionable for everybody that's here like i said i'm i'm pretty sure now they all have 101 tabs open and that that one is is their own website so so i think they're going to probably take a lot of this and uh put it into action in their own website so thank you for this thank you for having me I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm glad when you said it's actionable. I want everyone to, yeah, that's my last parting words is go out there and look at your website. And then, yeah, yeah. it's more important than you think. Yeah. And respond to Nikita's email. Let her, let her uh, look at your yes, uh, website with her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank, thank, thank you for this. Uh, thank you to all of you that are out there. Um, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for all your questions and comments. Um, we, I appreciate you. We appreciate you. Uh, without you making this Context and Clarity Live uh, a thing, we would not be here today having a conversation with Nikita. So uh, thank you to all of you for that. Uh, as many of you know, um, we are headed towards a two-week break. We will have context our Context and Clarity conversation tomorrow, but then we're going to take a couple of weeks off. So we won't be here on Thursdays for two weeks, but then um, the third week from now, uh, we'll be back with Context and Clarity Live, and George Smart will be our guest. Uh, George is uh, usmodernist.org, I believe is his website. Uh, really interesting character, really looking forward to talking to George. Um, like I said, we'll be back tomorrow, same bat time, same bat channel, for our Context and Clarity conversation inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. And we're going to... Uh, take a little bit of a pivot from marketing tomorrow. We're going to talk about uh, taking care of yourself and taking uh, taking a break, which is a great segue to literally taking a break. Uh, mm-hmm. So that, that's the topic tomorrow. We will kick it off tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern on Clubhouse with the same topic for our 30-minute coffee talk, but uh, kind of a uh, uh, self-care 
type topic tomorrow. So uh, join us for that on Clubhouse and uh, tomorrow afternoon here inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. And again, thank you, Nikita. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you to all of you. We appreciate all of you. Take a little bit of time uh, this evening to breathe. Uh, get Find a little bit of rejuvenation and come back. So we're going to do it again one more time before our break. Um, and then we're going to come back raring to go two weeks after that. So uh, see you again somewhere sometime soon, everybody. Thanks. Before we go, I want to say thank you to Twinmotion for their support of this episode of Context and Clarity Live. Visit Twinmotion today at twinmotion.link slash clarity and try Twinmotion for free. Thanks for listening to this week's Context and Clarity Live episode. Selfishly, I love these conversations because I get to be the go-between between you and some really incredible guests. To that end, I want to know what you think about today's guest. Message me on the socials. I'm really easy to find. I'm Jeff underscore Eccles everywhere. If you happen to run across a white-haired chiropractor from Austin, Texas, yeah, that's not me. I'm the other Jeff Eccles. Oh, and if you have an idea for a future guest, tell me who it is and why you think they'd be a good guest for one of these conversations. Maybe we can get them on a future episode. Thanks again for listening. I appreciate you, and I'll see you next week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.